0: Let's bow together, shall we, in the presence of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Thank you, O Lord God, for what we have been singing in worship to you. We prove your faithfulness as we walk by faith and not by sight. We are indeed, Father, because of your precious word to us, the children of your very promise. You have broken the chains of sin and death and the grave, and we have been given the power of your very own Spirit. Lord, we have good news to declare. We have forgiveness to experience. We have holy words that reveal your very heart to us. As we have just sung, we have a precious Jesus who is Savior, who is friend. And so we've come this morning to open our hearts, and we do ask, oh God, that you would let your words impart to us. And we ask this for the sake of Jesus, whom we love because he first loved us. In his name, Amen. just before the holidays i had the privilege of bringing a message on genesis 15 on the blood covenant and you might remember from that message this statement that is on the screen before us this morning christianity is not a religion christianity is a blood covenant with god now that is overstated a little bit because we do have elements of religion But the foundation for our faith is the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And here's what we learned about blood covenants. They are unilateral. It is something God does for us, not what we do for God. We also learned that a blood covenant is unconditional. It is not based on our promises to God, but it is based on his promises to us. And then we learned that a blood covenant is unending. Since God has promised not to break it, it is forever and it cannot be lost. Now I have to say to you this morning, as I preached that sermon several weeks ago from Genesis 15, I thought of an objection. I believe a very valid objection. If all this is true, it sounds sort of like I can live as I please without any eternal consequences. By the way, that objection has always been brought against the doctrine of eternal security, that it's a license to sin. Uh, When my parents were young Christians, they began to learn about their security in Christ. And they shared that security in Christ with their pastor's wife. And this is what she said to them. She said, That's a dangerous doctrine because it gives people a license to sin. Now, what's the answer to that objection? Well, I believe the answer is found for us today in Genesis 17. Because twice in Genesis 17, God says, Keep my covenant. Keep my covenant. He says this to Abraham, he says this to Abraham's descendants. And he says this to all of us who are believers in Christ today. In fact, there is a very important lesson here in Genesis 17 that is so critical for us to learn and understand. Here is the lesson. A covenant relationship always leads to covenant responsibilities. A covenant relationship always leads to covenant responsibilities. You see, we must always keep truth in balance. Yes, our covenant with God is forever. No, our covenant is not a license to sin. A covenant with God will always change us if we have come into that blood covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Now this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. And as we continue this series, In the Life of Abraham, I want us to notice that this chapter answers two questions for us. The first one is, what is our covenant responsibility? What is our covenant responsibility? And I want you to look with me as I read verses one and two, and you will notice that God made it very clear to Abraham And it's very clear to you and to me. Listen to what the Bible says. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make, and we take the word there as confirm, my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. What is our covenant responsibility? Very clear, isn't it? Walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. God is saying this, Abram, you and I are in a covenant relationship. I'm getting ready now to confirm this covenant. Here's what I want from you. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, when I read that expression, walk before me, it gives to me a very vivid, very vivid image of a pet on a leash being walked by an owner. Uh, there are two ways that you can walk a dog. The leash is taught because the dog is pulling on that leash for all it wants, wanting to go its own way. Haven't we all seen dogs who are walking their owners rather than the owner walking the dog? It's very comical, isn't it, when you see that. But the second way you can walk a dog on a leash is the leash is loose because the, lo- the dog has learned to follow the master's command. So when the master pulls this way, the dog goes this way. When the master pulls the other way, the dog goes the other way. Now here's what this means then. To walk before the Lord means to have the leash loose, not taught. It means to have the leash loose, not taught. Rather than fighting the Lord and pulling the leash our way, we daily submit to him, accepting his direction and living his way. That's what it means to walk before the Lord, to daily submit to him, accept his direction and to live his way. Now, when we do that, God says, we will be blameless. We'll be blameless. Now that word in the Bible does not mean perfect, does not mean sinless, but it has the idea of wholehearted, holy gods, bent on following his way. Blameless in the Bible is often used of someone who strives to keep God's commands. It's a person who is striving, never perfectly, but striving to keep God's commands. You may remember that Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, were this way. The Bible says about them, they walk blamelessly in all the commandments of the Lord, striving to obey God's commands. Many years ago, Ellen and I were in a very large church down in Florida where we were visiting. During the sermon, the pastor said this. He said, Next to my salvation, this is the most important thing in my life, that each and every day I would walk before the Lord and be blameless. And then he said, Is this the most important thing in your life? He said it should be. And he was right. Because it's the most important thing to God. God is saying, Amram, you and I are in a covenant relationship. Here's what I want from you more than anything else that you would walk before me with the leash loose and therefore be blameless. Brothers and sisters, this is the most important thing for us as a spouse, as a parent, as a child, as an employee, as an employer, as a church member, as a Christian. The most important thing that we would walk before God and be blameless. Well, now, if you're like me, you have this question that comes to your mind, how? I see the what, but how do I do this? The beauty of the Bible is it not only tells us what to do, but it tells us how to do it. The Bible not only gives us commands, but also practical helps to the commands. And so as we continue in this chapter, we come to a second question. How do we fulfill our covenant responsibility? How do we fulfill our covenant responsibility and God in speaking to Abraham and to us, gives to us the keys to a responsible life of faith. Look at them this morning. Here they are. There's the motivation key, the holiness key, and the obedience key. Look at them carefully this morning. God is revealing to us what it is that enables us to walk before him and to live blamelessly. It is in these three keys in our Christian walk. What's interesting is in this chapter, there are five discernible speeches of God to Abraham, more than in any other chapter in the Abraham narrative. Three times in this chapter, Abraham's age is listed, 99, more than in any other chapter that his age is mentioned. You know what this is? This is Scripture's way of saying to us, this is important. This is critical. Don't miss this. And so this morning, let's look at the motivation key. And then next Sunday, we will look at the holiness key and the obedience key. Follow along with me again in your Bible, starting at verse 3. And let me read down to verse 8 and notice what the Bible says. Then Abram fell on his face. Oh, shouldn't we do that this morning? He fell on his face. And God now picks up the second of the five speeches. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Now in this chapter, four new names are given to us. And these four new names are designed to motivate us to walk before the Lord and to be blameless. The focus of this chapter is the expansion of the promises of God to Abraham. What have we learned? The Christian life is not about our promises to God. It's about his promises to us. The praise team was right as they sang and we sang. We stand on the promises. You want to be motivated in the Christian life? Learn the promises of God. Learn the promises of God. That will motivate us more than anything else as we seek to walk before the Lord and be blameless. Now, here's what we can do in the message this morning we can look at these new names. We can understand what this means for the promises. And then because the New Testament applies this to us as believers, we can see the application for us today. So let's do that, shall we? As we see what God is teaching us. First of all, Abram is given a new name, Abraham, which means father of many now this is what is known as an anagram an anagram is a word that sounds like what it means Abraham sounds like the Hebrew phrase father of many and we have to ask why at this point the change in his name from Abram to Abraham here's the answer this is the fullest grandest statement of the promises of God to Abraham Nowhere else does God expand the promises to Abraham like he does here. So you know what we learn about the promises? This is what we learn. The promises are abundant. And notice them. Three times in verses 4, 5, and 6, God says, You will be the father of a multitude of nations, not just one nation. Ultimately, this includes all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6, God says to Abraham, Kings shall come from you. Not just descendants, not just citizens, but kings. In verse 7, he says, this will be an everlasting covenant and it will include, Abram, not only you, but all of your offspring. And then did you notice twice, verses 7 and 8, he says, I will be their God. You and your descendants will have a unique relationship with me. You will be the chosen people of God. Now, how does this apply to us? Well, is the word abundant ever used in the New Testament for Christians? Some of you are smiling because you know where I'm going, right? What does the New Testament say? Well, we've been given abundant life. It's a life that has purpose, meaning, fulfillment, and wholeness. And then Peter says, we can have an abundant entrance into heaven, not just going to heaven, but the opportunity of an entrance into heaven that is also richly rewarded. And then why is all this true? Because God says about himself that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think by the power that works within us. So the reason we have abundant life and can have an abundant entrance is we have a God who can do exceedingly abundantly Above all that we ask or think. You want to walk before the Lord and be blameless? Learn God's promises. Notice the next name. The next name is Sarah. And Sarah means princess. Stop down, if you would, to verse 15 and notice what the Bible says. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. Now Sarai, which was her original name, comes from Saratu, who was the wife of the moon god. So Sarai, as a baby, was dedicated to a pagan god. Now she becomes Sarah, god's princess, and we ask why the name change at this point, notice? The promises are exalted. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Verse 16, Sarah will not only give birth to children, she'll give birth to kings and some of the greatest kings on the face of the earth. David, Solomon, And the greatest king of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how the New Testament begins? The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Brothers and sisters, it's breathtaking. It's breathtaking. Now, what does the New Testament say to us when we believe in Christ? We receive his exalted, exalted status. Look what the New Testament says. We are made alive with Christ. He comes to live within us. We are raised up together with Christ. We're given his very resurrection life. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Bible says we are already co heirs with Christ. And one day when he comes again, the book of Revelation says we will reign with him forever and ever. You see, if you want to walk before the Lord and be blameless, learn the promises. Learn the promises. Now the third name is Isaac, and Isaac means he laughs, he laughs. Look at verse 17, then Abram fell on his face and laughed, and he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. I think the question that comes from these verses for us was Abraham's laugh wrong. When Abraham laughed, was that wrong? Sarah's laugh in the next chapter, chapter 18, was wrong because God rebuked Sarah's unbelief. But did you notice here, there's no rebuke of Abraham's laugh. You know what that tells me? This is a laugh not of unbelief. It's a laugh of wonder. If you said to me, I had just won a million dollars, I would laugh in unbelief. If you had a check in your hand, I would laugh in wonder. And I believe there are two reasons that convince me. This is a laugh of wonder. Romans 4, 19 through 21, which is referring to Genesis 17, says Abraham was fully convinced God could do what he promised. In fact, it says Abraham grew strong in faith. And then here's something that convinces me as well. Abraham used the new name Sarah that God had given to his wife. Did you see that in verse 17? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? He used the new name. He believed the promise to Sarah. This then is a laugh of joy. This is going to be a miracle. Now, what does Isaac's name change then tell us The promises are supernatural. Does the New Testament say anything about the promises being supernatural to you and me? Sure it does. We have rivers of living water flowing from our very being. The supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to change us. We walk in newness of life, the abundant life that Jesus promised. You shall live again the transformation of our bodies like his glorious body. It's all a miracle. It's all a miracle. If you want to walk before the Lord and be blameless, Learn the promises of God. Now I can just hear somebody here this morning saying, Pastor, you said that there were four new names in this chapter. And I only see three on the screen. Pastor, you forgot one. And I would say to you, if that's been going through your mind... I'm going to give you a gold star today, okay? Because you're right. What is the fourth name? It's in the very first verse. It is the name El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. The Lord said to Abram, verse 1, I am God Almighty, the Hebrew is El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all knew God by this name El Shaddai. This is the first time it appears in the Bible. Genesis 17, 1. And we ask the question, why here for the first time, and I think it's so absolutely clear, you can't have a 99-year-old father of many and an 89-year-old princess who gives birth to a son called Laughter unless you have an El Shaddai, right? And you can't have an abundant life with a position of being set in the heavenlies, given by a supernatural Holy Spirit who will one day glorify our bodies unless you have an El Shaddai, right? You know what El Shaddai means? The God who makes things happen by his majestic power and might. El Shaddai, the God who makes things happen by his majestic power and might. And before you have an Abraham, father of many, before you have a Sarah, princess, before you have an Isaac, he laughs, you have an El Shaddai, God. Almighty." And whoever knows this God by faith, it is this God who enables us to walk before Him and be blameless. See, if we want to live that kind of life, learn the promises of God let's bow together shall we in prayer oh God how rich we are It's all a miracle, your abundance, our exalted status in Christ. The supernatural work that has brought us to the Savior, and continues every day by the presence of the Holy Spirit until we are taken to glory and transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye so that our corruptible bodies become like his incorruptible glorious body. Lord, how could we ever think that all this is a license to sin? How could we ever, knowing what you have granted to us, in this new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ, would not call forth from us a desire, a passion, each and every day to walk before you and be blameless. thank you that it is all of you, El Shaddai, the Almighty God, for Jesus' great and wonderful sake, amen.